Welcome to the Catch the Fire London podcast. We hope and pray you'll encounter God as you listen to this message. Um, so today we're talking about I believe in overcoming. How do you all feel about that? Expectant? Excited? I um, It's been an interesting one prepping this because... If you look up overcoming in the Bible, it's quite a hefty, weighty lot of verses, and it? it talks about a number of costs that go alongside overcoming. And I think one of the things I wanted to start with, really, is just this attitude that I think in modern Christianity, we love the testimony. We don't necessarily love the trial that it takes to get the testimony. And, you know, I just had this word yesterday when I was praying, and the Lord was speaking to me. He's like, He said to me, Dan, People want the Red Sea parting testimony without the Pharaoh chasing them to their death. And, and sometimes we live in this attitude of life where we're like, we're pursuing after the breakthrough, but not realizing that the magnitude of breakthrough we're looking for requires a magnitude of need that is being put around us. And, and I want to encourage you today, because often I think the danger is with any sort of culture of faith and belief is that we hear incredible expectations from the pulpit and we hear these attitudes of like we it's you know your life needs to be a life of breakthrough and you need to be living free and like when we're one with Jesus there's no trial and challenge that comes in our life and all this kind of stuff and then you sit there hearing those words and you go yeah but I'm experiencing challenge and I've got trial going into my life and I'm not seeing the breakthrough yet so what does that mean to me am I less faithful am I less faith-filled am I making mistakes and, and I want to just almost like off the bat start off by just apologizing if there's any way in this house you've ever gotten a sense that maybe you're not good enough because you're not seeing the testimony yet, then that is not the intention heart or the truth of this house. And today we're going to kind of course correct a little bit because I want you to understand something. Your journey right now is an opportunity for a testimony. And when you experience things in life that are trials and challenges, that's going to be something that sets you into a place of testimony and authority in your life to release it to others. And that's really exciting. But we've got to understand something, that sometimes we can be looking for the Red Sea parting when the Lord's working over here with our actual need. And context is everything. And sometimes we need to understand that God will appear in ways that that we maybe don't like, but it's the exact thing that we need. And um, I asked permission to share this, but uh, we had a wonderful afternoon with Claudia and Albert yesterday, and we were just sharing stories. And um, Albert is a military man. He's got incredible stories. If you get to hear some of them, he's amazing. I have learned a lot of those stories yesterday. They're very exciting. And, um, but he was talking about a time when he was doing um, part of his mountaineering survival training, um, and they were doing like this kind of um, survival time. And they'd reached a point where three days in, him and his unit, they were like, they hadn't eaten anything for three days. And, and he was sharing about how like, they were starving, they were hungry, they were searching, and they trapped a rat under a bridge, if I remember right. And, and they cooked the rat, and they ate the rat. And they were like, the rat was what we needed in the moment. And I took away from that, I was like, how many times in your life have you been in a situation where you've needed something desperately, and you're expecting God to provide like, a delivery rider in the middle of nowhere in your life with a like, three-course meal, and you're defining your need in that moment, but God shows up with a rat for you to cook, and you're like, I don't want the rat. And it got me thinking, actually, that your context defines how God is going to move in your life. And he's going to use the things around you and the things in your life in power and will turn the things that challenge into you. Think about Elijah. 
In a season of drought, he was by a stream getting fed and looked after by ravens. We don't often focus on the raven bit, but how, how many times in your life have you, have you questioned the delivery method? Have you questioned the, the source of your breakthrough? Have you questioned the sustaining that God's doing? Because it's not quite the mountaintop we want to sing a shout about. We don't want to give testimony on a Sunday when people say, how has God been doing for you this week? And we go, well, you know, it would be lovely to say, like, an angel turned up and he delivered me a pizza because I was starving and in need. Whereas God's there with a rat going... I provided for you from the context you're in and it's going to be the best thing you've ever tasted because of your perspective in that moment when you see the breakthrough. And, and like ravens coming to bring food. It's like, you know, I don't know, you're praying for a house and God gives you a flat and you go, God, what you weren't in that. God's, his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. I was talking to somebody in the church, and I'm, I'm going to refer to them as somebody because I don't know if I have permission to share this, so I'm going to keep it relatively vague. But there's somebody in the church family who experienced a bit of a disaster in their life on Friday night. They were driving in their car, and another car spat out of control on the road, hit their car, was written their car off, and it was a traumatic experience. It was a very scary experience. And then on reflection, we're talking about it and just thinking, okay, let's find Jesus in this. Because... We could be having the attitude of saying, well, I've crashed my car, God wasn't with me. Someone spun out of control and crashed into my car, God wasn't with me. And we started to unpack it a little bit and we started to think, well, actually, what happened? A car, which had two like Christians driving the car that crashed, spun out of control in bad weather, came into the side of their car. Their car didn't move an inch, which when you're travelling along a motorway at 60, 70 miles an hour is not normal physical behaviour, physics. If you understand Newton's third law, every reaction has an equal and opposite action to it, right? And so a car coming at speed inside of your car, you'd expect something to happen. Nothing happened. The car just took the impact. Both cars were able to stop safely. Yes, they were damaged, but nobody was hurt. As we start thinking, okay, God, did you position this person in their car so that the other person spinning out of control was safe because the angels surrounding their car were holding it in place? And then you start to think about, okay, God, how did you provide in that moment? Well, immediately you're surrounded with faith-filled people praying together, standing together. God is capable of moving in ways we don't understand. Now, he did not will that car to spin out of control. He didn't will their car to be hit. But did he use an opportunity to save, protect, uplift, even potentially we're believing for an opportunity for God to bless as a result? But what we tend to do is we label things as attack because we don't like them and things as blessing because we love them when actually what we've got to change is our perspective and say, is this God? Is this man? Is this a bit of both? And actually, at the end of the day, I believe in overcoming. Let me tell you something. We are not the ones who overcome. We are the ones who are enabled to be in a position of having overcome because Jesus overcame. And so we need to start getting a bit of a maturity to our perspective around testimony and breakthrough and desire. And yes, it says God wants to give good things to those who love and obey him. That is true. But it says he gives good things, which means he defines whether it's good or not. Sometimes there's been times in my life where me and Ashley have been, we've been on our knees seeking breakthrough and God has turned up in a way that's looked very different to what we were anticipating and when I've been inquiring of the Lord afterwards he's like you were looking for something that you're not ready to steward yet but I've given you something that meets your need in this moment 
And who are you to know what tomorrow is going to bring when I am the God of time and eternity and I know exactly what I have in my resources for you in every given moment. So don't doubt the breakthrough in the moment thinking, but what about the next step? Because he's already got that and the next 15 steps covered. Because he is good and he is always good and moves only in goodness. And so I think part of our maturing in our relationship with God is starting to understand that when he moves, we've got to start to find him in it. We've got to start recognizing him in it. You know, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And often we use this as being like, okay, so I've got to be in the world. I've got to be a witness to the world. I've got to live in the world, but I can't be of the world. So I've got to reject all things. I'm not allowed to listen to anything that's not Bethel music. And I'm not allowed to do anything, read any book other than the Bible. And I'm not allowed to eat any food unless it's kosher, even though I'm not Jewish, but I'm not sure whether I understand the theology around that. So I may as well be safe. You know, and we have these, these mindsets of being like, we're going to just, we're going to remove ourselves from normal life. Oh, I can't, you know, have friends out. Your own conviction is your own conviction. But also I'm like, you know, I know people who won't buy Nike shoes because the goddess Nike was a Greek goddess. And so are we worshipping the goddess Nike by buying Nike shoes? I don't know. If you think you are, then you probably should stop. But to be in the world but not of the world is a bit different to that. Because what it's meaning is we're to be in the world but not led by the system of this world. To not be going through the ins and outs of this world. Because, let's just read the Bible. John 15, um, it's the New King James Version. And I imagine that it's going to go bing up on the screen. Yeah, look at that. If that was in time of my click, I love you, Tanya. You're amazing. If it wasn't, I'm sorry. Um, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You Jesus never said that we wouldn't suffer. In fact, I think sometimes we also start to say, well, I've even said this. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And so, actually, the only suffering I should have... I said this to someone the other day, in fact, and I'm already correcting myself on this. But the only suffering we should have is for the sake of the gospel. And so, if I'm suffering and it's not for the sake of the gospel, then that is a demonic suffering in my life, and I choose to accept and recognize it, and I'm going to pretend like it doesn't happen. And you're there walking along with your foot hanging off, and you're like, no, my foot is fine, because I refuse to recognize that as my reality right now. And the power of the tongue is important, everybody, but also the power of your eyes is also very important what are you beholding in your life around you that you need to recognize and therefore allow God to come to the world is a a place of brokenness I wrote this we live in a fallen world we live lives exposed to fallen nature daily we are exposed subjected to and sometimes even oppressed by the world but we are called to not be of this world what does that mean our responses to life are that of heaven not of earth and so to be in the world doesn't mean that the world won't happen at you In fact, the enemy's biggest opportunity is to try and make you believe, actually, that the world happening at you is, you know, God's will or da-da-da. And, like, you know, you go into hyper-Calvinism and you start believing that actually all these bad things happen to you are the will of God. That's not true. But also, it would be ignorant to suggest that the struggles in life going on around you are not real. And there's going to be things that are happening in your life because you have an open door to it in your life. Absolutely. You have spiritual laws going on in your world where there's going to be choices you've made, historical things that have happened in your life, generational curses going on that are going to be creating a spiritual atmosphere around you that may or may not cause things to happen in your life. And that's 
the reason why we do inner healing ministry. Because we want people to be free from the build-up of the spiritual realm around them. But actually, that's the spiritual realm. What about the physical realm? And yes, they're intrinsic and they, they, they affect each other and they pull each other in different directions. But sometimes, people are just crap. It happens. People, like we live in a fallen world. It's not their fault. This is a bit of a head twister for you. Was somebody a sinner before they knew grace? When they were ignorant to sin? Or did you in fact become aware of your sin and so therefore became a sinner the moment you encountered grace and let Jesus come into your life because then you understood the context of your salvation? That's a bit of a head pickler. That's what me and Ashley have been chatting about in our small time this week. At what point do you become a sinner? Are we sinful by nature? Or are we ignorantly, before we know Christ, living in a nature that is sinful, but we're not sinners because that's just the nature we're in? And the moment we become to Christ, we understand through context and filters that we have become sinners saved by grace. Fascinating concept. Think on that. Just whatever. Um, But therefore, if we're living in a fallen world and we're experiencing life around us, how we respond to the fallen world is what it means to not be of the world. Because if we respond through the systems of this world, we have attitudes, directives, positions, experiences that are all locked into this world. But if we respond and act and behave in the ways of heaven, then that's where things start to shift and change. That's where we see breakthrough happen. Jesus gave us a bit of a clue with the Beatitudes. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we need to understand something. There is an ultimatum in our journey in life where we understand that how the world behaves and how heaven operates are two very different things and you can feel this growing tension you either experience pressure from God pulling you into holiness and righteousness away from the systems of the world into the systems of heaven so that you recognize that actually instead of being justice minded in right and wrong attitude and right kind of stuff and tit for tat kind of argumentative dynamics of the world, you step into a place of mercy because blessed are the merciful. And you respond to the world through that kind of stuff. But also, like I said earlier, in Deuteronomy, where it talks about blessings for obedience, it says that your enemies will come against you as one and you will see the Lord fight for you and they will flee in seven directions. And so also the earthly attitude to things happening at us is to be like, I have to take my stand. I have to take my battle. The battle belongs to Dan through the power of the Lord. It's not what the Bible says. It says the battle belongs to the Lord. And, and yes, we are called as Christians, the word literally means many anointed ones, many Christs. We're called to represent him to the world, but we're not called to take his place to the world. 
We're not called to be him. We're called to be like him. We're called to be representatives of him. We're called to be pictures of him to the world so that when they look at you, they become distracted by Jesus, not the great efforts you're making. So what does it look like to be an overcomer? It becomes less and less about you. It becomes less and less about me. It becomes less and less about the things that are happening to you. And more and more about him and who he is. I was watching this amazing video of a, um, there's a rabbi speaking. He was talking about lobsters. And he was saying that lobsters, um, the only way they can grow is what happens is they, they reach the capacity of what their shell can have. And then pressure builds up because their body continues to grow, but the shell isn't growing anymore. And so their context, their housing is now restrictive. And they continue to grow until it becomes painful. And then what they do is they go off to a secret place and they shed off their shell, their protective layer, the things that have been keeping them safe. And then they grow another shell that is much larger and come back out into the atmosphere. And this continues to happen. It's pressure and that causes growth with a lobster. And he was sat there thinking, isn't that just the nature of what it is to be in this world? Is that sometimes we want growth to happen just by... Jesus making a way. We want growth to happen by Jesus clearing a pathway for us. We want growth to happen by, you know, and I've, I've seen testimonies of this and it's amazing. We've got a friend who was in need of financial breakthrough in her life and she needed to see growth in that area of her life. And then literally walking through a park, a wad of cash fell out the sky in the middle of nowhere. And it was incredible. And those kind of things happen and that's supernatural and marvellous. But it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes the pressure upon us causes growth. Who knows that in this season as a church, we've grown in maturity. We've grown in strength in prayer. We've grown in strength in conviction. We've grown in strength of the prophetic. We've grown in strength of our attitude because we've been under pressure. And sometimes we reject the pressure and we say, no, I'm not going to be pushed around by the world. And da, da, da. But what if God could use that to cause you to grow? What if Jesus were drawing to the secret place to be with his father was yes about intimacy with him, but, but also because the pressure upon him in his ministry was coming such that the growth requirement on him meant that he had to go to his father, shed off the former clothing, be restored to the new clothing and step out into the next step. What if that's a model for us to demonstrate? Does that change your secret place dynamic? That, that when the pressure is building, when the growth is coming, that actually the, the things that you wore as your protective layer beforehand need to shift and change and make space for the next season because you're going to need bigger armour. You're going to need stronger structures. You're going to need more space to grow because you're called to grow. You knew the lobsters were that useful as a sermon illustration. 1 John 5 says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There's only one prerequisite, one requirement, one attitude, one mantra, one belief that requires or is required of you in order to be an overcomer. Faith in the Lord. Isn't that extraordinary? You want to see God move in your life, have faith in him. You want to overcome a trial, a challenge, have faith in him. Because he will overcome. Mark 13, 13. Some of these verses are really heavy, by the way. Expect to be hated. 
by all because of your allegiance to my name, but determined to be faithful to the end and you will be saved. You know, there's, there's only one name that requires your allegiance that can truly bring, bring you freedom. There's only one person in the whole of the universe, and that's Jesus. And I think sometimes we expect allegiance with our friends. Like, oh man, like, I feel like I'm falling out my friends and my faith is shaking, or I'm in disagreement with them, or we, we need allegiance with our leaders, or we need allegiance with people who are speaking into our lives. But there's no man, no woman, no name, no nothing that can save you other than the name of Jesus. And if we first fix our eyes on that and live in that reality, then we're going to be an expression of overcoming that is just extraordinary. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I love the way Paul writes that. But it sounds almost a little bit sassy, doesn't it? Are you kidding me? All these things, all these worldly things, all these of-the-world things that could possibly come against me, are they really strong enough? Are they really big enough to separate me from Jesus? For as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are called to be more than conquerors, more than overcomers. Nothing can separate you if you exist in that realm of your mindset. If you are in the world, but not of the world, in the world says, I've got to fight. I've got to push. I've got to get through. Nobody's going to do it for me. I have to do it for myself. What does it look like to be more than a conqueror? The Lord said to me this, to this to me a long time ago. To be more than a conqueror is to be living in victory without ever having to fight a battle. Just think about that for a second. You think about all of history, you think about even this nation, the amount of wars that have been fought, the amount of cultures established, the amount of kingdoms raised up and tore down through the efforts of man. Because no thing can be established eternally that's done by man. And yet, through the efforts of one man, Christ Jesus, he conquered a victory that is always going to be established never going to fail, never going to be pulled down, never going to be broken, never going to be politicalized, never going to be downtrodden, never going to be cheapened. Because we are more than conquerors, because as his children, he has said, I did it, come with me over here. You don't, you don't, you don't need to go through the trauma of the cross. I did that already for you. You don't need to be held accountable to the things that would cause God's wrath to come upon you. I did that for you. You, you are going to be, it's called substitutional theology. You have been substituted by me and all the things you deserve so that when the Father looks at you, he sees me. And when he looks at me, he saw you. Isn't that extraordinary that actually the nature of overcoming is simply this. You have been placed through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ into a position of victory and you didn't have to fight a single battle to gain it. You didn't have to do a single thing to do it. In fact, you were defeated and destroyed and your very nature was what Jesus overcame at the cross and yet you got to just go, 
Jesus, I welcome you as my Lord and Savior. I repent and I turn away. I thank you for saving me. And then you have an eternal perspective. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that incredible that you can live, therefore, in the world but not be subjected to the systems of this world? So that when things come against you, you have a hope that transcends the moment that's an eternal one. James 4, verse 7 to 8, and then verse 10 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. This, this verse is extraordinary, because it gives you a number of things to help you systematically approach your life, how to live as an overcomer. Number one, submit to God. That doesn't mean give some things to God. That doesn't mean on a Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. when you have your quiet time, you submit that moment to God. No, it means all. Submit all of you to God. Every single part of you, every fiber of your being, your worst parts and your good parts, the bits you don't want him to know about and the bits that he does. Submit all to him. It is the most freeing, extraordinary experience in your life when you submit all to him and you get a response that says, I love you. Because then, when the world starts to see your brokenness, you're not afraid of what they think because a far more important being has said, I love you. When you make mistakes, it's okay because God loves you. Now, stop making the mistakes, but He still loves you. Submit to God. The next one, resist the devil. What does that look like? Every moment of temptation you ever experience, the known and the unknown, just have that thing in your heart of being like, no, 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 not today, Satan. Every time the of the world happens in your life and you're tempted to be drawn into a response of the world, you say, nope, not today. Every time the thing that really pokes your buttons happens, do you recognize your buttons are maybe of this world and not that world? And so maybe actually that button is only a theoretical existence in your life because you're dead. You died at the cross. You died. And so therefore, when you go, oh, I've got a button and when people cut me up driving, it makes me really angry. And so I'm justified in swearing at them. Are you? Or are you being of the world rather than just in the world? I had to, you know, it's crazy. I had to do some repentance this week driving. Because I haven't driven into Brent for a little while. And I drove into Brent earlier this week. And the moment I crossed into Brent, suddenly it was like all the crazy drivers in the world started to come out. And I was like, what on earth is going on? Flipping Wembley drivers and just like, you know, all this kind of stuff going on in my head. of being like, unbelievable. And then I realized something. I was like, maybe this is my issue in this moment. And I was like, man, God, have I ever said that Wembley is the worst place for drivers. And he was like, yes. And he reminded me of every single time. I'd be like, I don't know what it is about Wembley, but they are just, there's drivers in Wembley, which is awful drivers. And some of you are nodding because you have the same judgment. And so we could do one of two things right now. We could either start a little Wembley driver, anti-Wembley drivers club and go, aren't we all in agreement? Aren't these people so bad? We're so good because we've seen it. We recognize it. We can see their fault, but we're not going to come under it. Because we're not of this world. We're in this world, but not of this world. But that in itself is not being not of this world. Because you're allowing 
the world to be affected with the authority you've been given from God in a negative way because you've been given authority. How you use it is down to you. And so I was like, oh man, I need to repent. I need to set Brent free from my judgmental viewpoint of bad driving. And man, I bet you there's going to be a lot less accidents in Brent as a result because I've decreed a thing and seen it established with my own eyes. And now I'm going to see it shift and change. And so if you live in Brent and you felt a shift on Wednesday afternoon, then you're welcome. No. Um, <laughs> resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't say he might. It doesn't say he could. It says he will flee from you. Resist him. Don't fall into temptation. Don't be drawn into that stuff. Be stepping into a higher place. And then it says, draw near to God. When the devil comes against you, the temptation is either to be drawn near to him and away from God or resist him and be drawn near to God. And I think it's very easy when we say we resist the devil and we all go, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. But then in our behaviour, we don't really see it. So let me say a stronger thing to you. Do not draw near to Satan. But instead, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Humble yourselves and he will lift you up. How's your humility game? Are you like Moses who wrote that he was the most humble person on earth? <laughs> I do love that though. It either takes supreme humility or complete absolute ignorance to say that statement. And I'm assuming with Moses it was the first one. It's like writing, Moses was the most humble person ever alive. It's like me writing my, my and Ashley's bio on our website and saying, Dan and Ashley are the most humble leaders you'll ever meet. Like, <laughs> I do not have the authority to make that statement because humility is about how you experience me, not how I view myself. And so you lot get to define for each other each other's humility journey, not an individual. Now, we get as individuals to act humbly, but how we know we're walking humbly is how other people experience you. Humble yourselves. Purify your hearts and your hands. I dwell, I was, and I'm a bit of an obsessor with revival history, but we got to this moment of repentance at dwell on Monday night. And the Lord took me to the Outer Hebrides revival. And it happened in like kind of the mid-1950s and in islands just off the north of Scotland, really remote islands. And they were having a prayer meeting one night. And this is in a church where they had these um, sisters in their late 80s who'd been praying for like 25 years or something for revival. And then the church finally kind of agreed that, that was a good idea and started to hold a prayer meeting. <laughs> Isn't that funny that? You should listen to people in your church and what they're feeling and what they're contending for and come alongside that. But um, they come to a prayer meeting and then they've been praying for like three hours and this 18-year-old young deacon in the church stands up and he says, I've just been led to that verse in Isaiah where it says, um, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can enter that holy place? But he with pure hands and a clean heart. And then spontaneous repentance broke out in the room. And they, just, they spent hours just repenting, pouring out their hearts before God. And at 2 a.m. when they left the room, they found people had walked out of their houses in the middle of the night and were on their knees in the street crying out to God. They had the local police sergeant phone the pastor asking him to go down and help them because people were queuing up in the middle of the night outside the police station confessing their crimes and their sins because holiness had landed on that island at such a degree that everything that wasn't holy was becoming allergic to them. And that led to this crazy revival. Do you want to live in a reality of a clean heart and a pure, clean heart, pure heart, clean hands and humility? 
because it says, then God will lift you up. Don't ignore the thing that you need to overcome because it's an opportunity for God to lift you up. But if you want to know how to be an overcomer, how to see God break through in your life, when was the last time you humbled yourself? When was the last time that you cleansed your hands? What does that mean? To make sure that the things that have dirtied you from this world have been wiped off. The way you speak, the way you act, the things you interact with, the things you allow to come into your eye gaze, the things that you do. I deleted Facebook the other day. Just deleted it. I was like, I'm done with this. Because I had to show Ashley. I was like, I literally spent most of my time on Facebook either looking at all of your posts and posting about Jesus and all that kind of stuff or looking at videos about drummers. That's my passion. Drumming and cooking and Jesus. That's it. That's all I do on Facebook. And somehow all my suggested reels were utterly inappropriate videos of females doing things because there's an algorithm that has been designed to target men of a certain age with certain stuff. And I was like, I can either be in this world and constantly defiled, or I can just be like, Ashley, I'm coming off it. Look, for accountability's sake, I'm not doing anything for this to come into my life, but the devil is coming at me right now. Do I submit to the world and say, I'm going to engage with this. It's really easy access. I'm just scrolling past it. It doesn't matter if it's just even for a second. Or I want clean hands. I want a pure heart. I want to humble myself before God and be like, nothing is going to inconvenience me more than a lack of you in my life. And so all other things that seem inconvenient, I'm just going to get rid of them until I'm in that place of union with you. And then he will lift you up. In Revelation 12, it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not like, live, love their lives to the death. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of their testimony. And this is what I want to land on. You didn't overcome. He did. But what a joy it is to worship him through the trial. And look back and say, look where Jesus has brought me. Look where he has brought me through. Look what he has lifted me over. Look at where he moved that thing, changed that thing. Study your journey. Study your examples. Because you could be a person who was in a car accident and go, that was awful, I had a car accident. Why wasn't God with me? Or you could say, look at how God protected me. Look at how my car was protected. Look at how he moved through me. Look at what he provided in the atmosphere around me. Look where, find him. Because he moves in mysterious ways and there's things that you may have missed that are just waiting to be an opportunity for testimony. But the authority in your life is flowing through the testimonies of your atmosphere and your journey. Moses had expectation for God to move because he knew he'd gone from the basket to the palace. And so when he was called into the wilderness, when he was called to live his pe- lead his people into freedom, he'd seen the impossible in his life so far. He'd seen a Hebrew baby boy who should have been killed become a prince in a foreign nation, recognised not by his condition, his colour of his skin, his his genetics, but recognised through authority as a man of authority. And so when he ended up in a situation of being called to be a man of authority, do you think he doubted that? No, he said, my journey, look where God has brought me. I went from the basket, I went from death and destruction to a palace, so how much more can God move me and take me to a promised land? Because I've seen the journey demonstrated in my life. Joseph, he went from the pit of his brothers trying to destroy him 
to then being a man of influence in Potiphar's house. And so when he was put in the prison or the pit again, do you think he had worries about what was going to happen next? Probably a little bit. But also, do you think he thought, you know what, I've seen you do it before, God. I'll see you do it again. And so I'm going to shed off the negative things that would restrict him. I'm going to shed off that shell around me that's brought me to this place. I'm going to say, God, I'm ready for the new one. I'm ready for the next one. I'm ready for the next palace. I'm ready for the next breakthrough until he ends up sitting on the seat of the authority of a king. Your past is going to keep you moving forward. And I said earlier about Elijah and the ravens. I love Elijah. Because he had the authority and the audacity to follow God's word. He stood in front of a king who'd been trying to kill him and had killed all his mates and all his other mates who'd escaped were hiding in a cave. And he stood in front of Ahab and said, it's not going to rain until I say so in the name of Jesus. That's audacious. And then he goes off on this journey and within this drought is provided for by ravens. He's provided for by a stream. Have you ever noticed that? It says in a time of drought where there's no water, he somehow finds himself next to a stream. A source of water. Look for the stream. You might be looking for a river, but where's the stream in your life? And so we're going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. And so as you journey your life, your story matters. Your breakthrough matters. Who you are and what led you to this moment matters. We used to do a a session in our school of ministry where I'd get everyone to sing a song by Jay Thomas called I Have a Testimony About Jesus. But the attitude was this. You have a story that helps you understand your calling. And in your calling is to carry the truth of your story so that other people can be set free into their calling. Let me phrase it like this. What was the hardest thing you ever experienced? What was the biggest thing the enemy tried to come against you with? What was the, the most consistent attack in your life of where the enemy was trying to tear you down? Is it possible that he's so afraid of you believing in yourself in that area in such an extraordinary way that he wants to de-establish you so you'll never see his kingdom established and other people saved as a result? It's part of my story. Last week was an incredible part of my testimony, being able to introduce my dad to minister in my church when I was the prodigal in my family I was the one who turned up to church drunk I was the one who made problems in the church I was the one who said I hated the church and wanted to be involved in the church and wanted to do anything to do with the church the church had ruined my life that was me I was the prodigal son the enemy saw God's plan for my life and did everything he could to take it But God. It wasn't by the power of Dan. It wasn't by the power of my conviction. Man, if I'd follow my convictions, I'd probably be dead right now because I make some really stupid choices in the name of me. But look at where I've come from. Don't ever tell me the thing in front of you is too big for you to handle because you're not meant to handle it anyway. He will overcome. He will lift you up so you do not strike your foot upon a stone, that you'll trample upon the heads of lions and servants. He will do it for you. And it's not just some sort of like buffet approach to Christianity where we go, okay, today, God, I need five sides of breakthrough and six portions of love. No, it's not like that. He will do it. All we need to do is humble ourselves before him, worship like we've been doing today, and see him break through in our lives. This is how we fight our battles.
Amen? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand, if you can. The Lord is calling all of us into a bit of an upgrade today into a bit of a maturing today in our attitude and our thinking because what he is saying over you is to not not fear the thing you're facing because the thing you're facing will try and masquerade itself as God. He'll say, I'm, I'm the thing that's going to stop you. I'm the thing that's going to destroy you. And, and it's trying to pull on your arrogance to say, yeah, maybe you are. But as she says, Humble yourself. I think repentance is one of the most incredibly humbling things in the world. Because as you stand before God and you repent, you're humbling yourself. And so just wherever you are, I just want to encourage you, and I just wonder if, Joshua, if you're happy to come and just play the keys, is that right? But just whatever you're doing right now, I just want to encourage you, just start pouring out your heart before God. If you're worried about what the people around you will think, on one level, don't worry because they're focusing on their own stuff right now. But another level, it's okay. Do it with God. If you, if you need to be in a place of silence with him right now, just pour out your heart and your inside. But if you need to speak it out, you get it out. Get it off your chest right now. That looks like, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I repent for... Pride, arrogance, go, go with big sweeping brushstrokes first if that's safer for you. Go specific, be like, I'm sorry for anger, I'm sorry that I got so frustrated at this situation and this person and this thing. God, I'm sorry for how I have behaved in ways that have not represented you. God, I'm sorry for where I've hurt people when I've been living under your banner. God, I'm sorry for how I've brought my atmosphere, my junk, my stuff into this world and misrepresented you. God, I'm sorry for where I haven't leaned on you, for where I haven't resisted the devil, but, in, and, but instead I've lent into him. God, would I draw near to you right now. I draw near to you, Father. I thank you that your promise to me is that you will also draw near to me. And because you see, you don't need to be able to feel it or cognitively recognise it when it's a scriptural promise because you may right now go, I'm drawing near to you, God, and feel absolutely nothing. But what I want to encourage you is that absolutely He is drawing near to you. And as you continue to do so, you'll continue to recognise the change in your life because as you draw near to Him, you will be covered by Him. And so when you experience the trials and the challenges and the opportunities to overcome, you'll start to recognise, oh goodness me, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And I'm fully excited and expect to see what you're going to do, Jesus. You know, when I had that phone call on Saturday morning about the person who'd been in the car accident, our immediate response was, Jesus, we're so excited to see what you're going to do with this. Not to belittle the trauma they'd experienced. We prayed through that together and we brushed it off. But the enemy wanted to distract into trauma. And the Father wants to draw into freedom right now. Come on, in Jesus' name. So why don't we just push into that? We just lay aside the things that have tried to limit us. We lay aside. I want to encourage you as well with the humility piece. 
Don't, don't start to say, I, you know, I repent for where I was mad at that person because of how mean they were to me. Get rid of the second part of that. That's not humility, that's condemnation. Be accountable to your choices. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come in this place right now. We give you permission to move. We give you permission to flow. We give you permission to come and cleanse us in that place of repentance. I thank you, God, that your response is to wash our hands clean. I thank you, God, that your response is to clean our hearts, to make us pure, whiter than snow. Would you come, Lord Jesus? Would you come? I just felt for some of you, actually, you actually need to physically go and wash your hands. And so as the service finishes, go, go wash your hands. And there's, I just got reminded of there's, t- there's times in life where you go to wash your hands because they kind of feel a little bit dirty. But then when you look at the water coming off, it was clear they were very dirty. God, would you come and wash our hands right now? And by the power of the blood and the name of Jesus, I release freedom over you right now. I release breakthrough over you right now. We call on you, Heavenly Father, as the overcomer, Jesus as the overcomer, Holy Spirit as the overcomer. And we ask, would you lift us up so that our feet do not strike upon a stone? Would you lift us up so that we would trample on the heads of lions and serpents? And that that Psalm, Psalm 91 finishes with this. It says that, when they call on my name, I will come and help them. God, we call on your name right now. And in the name of Jesus, I release the power of the overcomer over each and every one of you that this week you would know breakthrough like you've never seen before because not by your strength but by his he would lift you up and that by the power of your testimony in Christ Jesus and testimonies of the breakthroughs in your life that you would see a harvest of testimony in those around you those in this church building those out on the streets in your workplace your home your community that by the power of the blood of Jesus and the testimony that you utter from your lips because nobody Nobody can deny you what you have experienced. Nobody can tell you that what you experienced wasn't right, true or good because you walked that journey with him. You can argue scripture, you can argue doctrine, you can argue theology, you can argue belief structures and faith patterns, you can argue tradition, you can argue all these things away. But what you cannot argue is what you experience in Christ Jesus when he comes and he takes you from the miry clay and he sets your feet upon the rock. That's when you can say hallelujah God has done it because I know my Jesus came and he lifted me by his strength so that I don't look the same anymore I don't feel the same anymore my trials have become my victories my challenges have become my breakthroughs the things that tried to kill me became the things that established me because when they came in God raised up his banner over me of love and said I will lift you up and so you ready church Are you ready to be a testimony releasing 
Jesus believing, atmosphere shifting, world shaking, glory bringer for the kingdom of Jesus. Humble yourself, cleanse your hands, purify your heart, and He will do all the rest. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.